Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life, where entrepreneurs and experts share one book and the life-changing principles they applied. If you love that flash, that spark of inspiration when a great idea just leaps off the page at you, but you don't have time for all the amazing books you run across, then this podcast is designed for you. In each episode, you'll discover business books, past and present, that are changing the lives of people just like you and come away with insights you can put into action right now. So let's jump into the latest book. All right. Welcome back to the show. We have Martin Steller with us. And Martin is a super fascinating, interesting guy. We just recently connected. We've been having a great time getting to know each other. We bonded over the book that we're going to talk about today, which is The Prosperous Coach, uh, Steve Chandler. That was a book that came into my life a few years ago. It sounds like it's been a little bit longer for Martin. We're going to talk about how it changed the entire trajectory of his life. Now, uh, super interesting background, uh, 12 years as a monk, and then ended up getting into coaching artists. Uh, now, today, he's an expert and a thought leader and a coaching consultant on ethical selling, ethical dealings and business, and um, has a proprietary framework for ethical selling, which we unfortunately don't have time to get into because we'll have, I guarantee you, so much to talk about with, with Martin's background and with the book and all the fun stuff that we want to talk about here. So we're going to have to come back and do something separate, or we'll figure out a way to uh, to dive into Martin's uh, expertise uh, in another conversation. So for now, Martin, just officially welcome to the show. Thank you. It's lovely to speak with you again. I, I really enjoyed when we met last week and we had that conversation. I'm like, oh man, this is so cool. Let's do it again. <laughs> well, it's always fun when you have, I think I think we're scheduled to have maybe a 30 minute, maybe even a 15 or 20 minute kind of touch base type mm-hmm. of conversation. Uh, and of course, it turns into twice as long, I think, th- than we were supposed to go. And I, I love those conversations just when you hop on with somebody and you're like, yeah, this is somebody I want to spend more time with. I want to get to know. Um, and there's, uh, I could tell we were just kind of scratching the nail on the surface of the things that you and I could could cover together. So it was interesting because you pointed out uh, the book. And um, before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about how, how you tell people what you do. So I want to give you an opportunity to share that. So when you run across somebody today that comes into your world now, how do you explain to them what you do? I help nice people sell more is really what it comes down to. And that means I work with coaches and consultants who have uh, their values on their sleeve, uh, who really care about doing right by people who are on a mission and who realize that unless I manage to enroll more people in my work, I'm not going to further my mission. That ain't right. So I look for the people who are smart enough to understand that uh, selling is just a natural part of doing business. I want to get better at it without um, going against our values. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you meant by nice people, and you explained it perfectly, which is you wear your values on your sleeve and you're on a mm-hmm. mission. You want to genuinely help and impact people. And that's, yeah, that's a lot of people in my world. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I noticed about myself with sales is it doesn't, it doesn't come easy for me to make somebody else uncomfortable just to mm-hmm. get what I want. I mm-hmm. have to... I have to feel like it's a win-win for them. In other words, like I have to, I feel, yeah. to feel like I'm serving and that in the process of selling, the selling is in service of getting them to what they want, which is great. Like mm-hmm. it ties back into what, what Steve Chandler says in the book about essentially mm-hmm. you're selling your clients, your own dreams, if you're a coach. And even as an agency owner, I'm selling business growth, right? But I'm not really selling that. I'm selling the dreams of my clients, like the business that they want, the level of influence and authority that they want. And that was a big thing that, that impacted me when I read that is that we're not, we're not just selling our time. We're not just selling the thing that we're selling. We're selling our, our clients' dreams. And I think that's, that's awesome. That's essentially what you're helping people do more of. You, you, you sell people uh, uh, a future version of themselves. Mm-hmm. 
So we have this vision on what we want to achieve and what that says about ourselves, how our identity and our self-view changes when we reach that next stage of growth or scale or whatever impact. So that's your future you. So that applies to literally every purchase that people make is that it's, uh, Steve Jobs said people don't buy a product, they buy a different version of themselves. Yeah. And there's so much truth in that. Yeah. And so that is really the whole essence of it. What, who, who is a buyer looking to become? And what is required of the seller in order for the buyer to say, yes, I like what you're saying, help me. How do we get started? Yeah. Identity issues, man. That's uh, It's oh, a very yeah. interesting and very deep uh, rabbit hole we could go down. We don't have time for that, but that's I would love to dive into that because there's so much there. Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, I think that's part of why people struggle with selling is it hits at their identity of who they are and what what their mission is. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. Because there. you don't want to do things that go against the image that you have of yourself. Exactly. You have this story to tell yourself about who you are and how you show up in the world, and then have to go and sell. Well, that is in conflict with who I am. So no, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to sabotage it, or I'm going to charge too little. Or, um, yeah, the, the identity part is really, really important. And that ties also back to, to the book. Mm-hmm. Because when I read the book, um, I realized, oh, shit, I, I never thought about this, but this, is, this book is about me. I just never saw myself as a coach. The only idea I had about coaching was the rah-rah type, you could do it, coaching, that's, mm-hmm. you know, life coaching, uh, hyped-up stuff. So I never really considered coaching at all. Uh, I was a copywriter mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but then this book landed on my doorstep, literally. And I went through it and I go, but I've been doing this stuff for years. I've just not done it officially. I've not charged money for it. I've not called it coaching, but this is what I do. And then on the spot, basically decided to fire all my copywriting clients <laughs> and rebrand myself as a coach. And, and step into that new version of myself. I realized that here's an identity, you get to choose to wear that suit. And I said, okay, I'll take it. And, and that was the beginning of a whole new phase in my life. And uh, back up just a little bit, because I mentioned to the audience uh, that you were a monk. And I, I do mean mm-hmm. literally you spent, and was it a total of 12 years actually living yeah, I was the monastic life? there for 12 years. And six of those I was ordained. Uh, like a really strict uh, lifestyle. So vows of silence, vows of poverty, vows of obedience, uh, no friends. You only go out if you have to do something, you know, shopping. You don't, you don't go uh, spend time with people just for the fun of it. You have your brethren and that is your life and your work. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was now how, how did you get from that? Just briefly, how did you get from that to copywriting to where you were in a position where somebody sent you the book, The Prosperous Coach, <laughs> for someone who had taken a vow of poverty? <laughs> Well, we we had a, a government fund, and at some point that ended, and so a couple of us had to go out and get a job, like uh, like in a Jesuit uh, tradition, people work in the world and they come back to the monastery. Okay. We had never had that necessity, uh, but I was one of the people tasked to go and bring in some capital, uh, some 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 income, mm-hmm. and so for a year I was working out of doors, and then I would come back, and then I would go away in the morning and come back, and I realized this isn't for me because I'm an all or nothing guy. It's 100% or nothing. And so over that year, I realized I don't, this is not for me anymore. I can't do this. I don't want to have a foot in both worlds. And I also started to feel interacting again with the world that there was something for me to do here. 
that there was something calling me to, and I didn't know what. So very gradually, I decided to leave. And in the years in the monastery, I'd been trained as a tailor. So logically, I set up a shop as a bespoke tailor, and I made fancy suits. And I thought I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, be be successful with that because I make really good suits. I had no idea about marketing or sales. In fact, it was uh, uh, antithetical to my entire self view. Like quality sells itself. Well, it doesn't. Exactly. And then my dad died and left me one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I thought, well, with that I can invest. Money makes money. I'll I'll be unbreakable. <laughs> but I still didn't think that I had to do any marketing or sales. So I lost that money, lost the company, went bankrupt, wow. and I needed to eat. So I, I said, I've been writing my whole life. I've translated hundreds of texts in the monastery. I can write. I can write articles for the web and sell them and get some cash flow. And then somebody said, oh, do you do sales copy as well? Now, by that time, I'd spent so much time reading up on marketing and sales that I said, sure, I can try that. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, and it converted well. And so I started doing copywriting um, as a living. Uh, for a living and did that for a couple of years and in that phase at some point i started getting a bit burned out and fed up with it you know you can only write uh, um, so many sales pages about how to train your german shepherd ebook and stuff like that <laughs> so it just didn't didn't fire me up anymore um and in that phase is when uh, I, I received the book and 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 i made the decision to just change just switch over uh, because I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. Like, okay, this is done. New, st- new chapter. Yeah, clearly. I say, yeah, because mm-hmm. you, I mean, just the decision to go into the monastery is a, is a very all or nothing decision. People that are not oh, yeah. that personality don't, don't make that choice. Um, so dear, like looking back on it now, when, when we were talking about discussing the book and this book came to mind, uh, I mean, obviously it was behind your decision to jump into coaching, but do you remember any of the specific, the big idea or a certain concept that still jumps out to you many, many years later, you know, without having to even go back to the book? That it is about conversations and about listening and being present with people. Because these are all things that have always been uh, important in my life and have always been tools that I use to move through the world and to help people wherever I could. So I saw that presented as a way of uh, connecting with people, uh, creating uh, clients, th- that whole concept, creating clients. You don't sell, you create a client. Damn, that's so beautiful, actually. Mm-hmm. You do that. Yeah. Um, so th- those were some of the things that, that really got to me. That I, I just read this feeling like I've been doing this for years and, and, and it's so natural to me and I'm good at it. Let's just do it officially and formally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the creating clients. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Um, mm. But that's that seeped into my belief system. Mm. Um, yeah, like, and I, I see it in, I mean, I, like we both come from obviously very different, but both uh, religious or spiritual backgrounds. And I look at, I look at podcasting the same way a pastor relates to uh, a mm. congregation of people. And uh, especially like solo podcast episodes are, are kind of my version of sermons, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of just getting up there and, you know, speaking mm-hmm. your truth. And um, yeah, like, so creating clients, like I look at it in terms of like, when you have a podcast, it's, it's your opportunity to lead a group of people to a set of new beliefs that create new actions in their life. And then as a result, they experience new results. 
And I hadn't thought about that, like the link to this book in a while where it talks about creating clients, but I've always, I've told people for a long time, like podcasting is a way of creating ideal clients. It doesn't just help you find the people that are already out there that are perfect for you. It can take a group of people that wouldn't sign up with you otherwise. Mm -hmm. And by the content that you put in front of them, it can actually create clients. And the book talks about doing that through conversations, which is absolutely true. But it's interesting how that seeped into my belief system and it it becomes so much a part of it. I didn't even remember that part of the book until you just Mm -hmm. brought it up. And yeah, that's what I love about these conversations because I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But yeah, Yeah. that's, that's definitely part of my belief system too that you can create clients is not just a matter of sifting and finding mm-hmm. people that are kind of already out there that, you know, if they just knew about you, they'd sign up enthusiastically, which is, you know, that's what I would say. That's what a lot of sales and marketing is about is just prospecting, you know, sifting mm-hmm. through what's already out there to find what's there, yeah. you know? Um, all right. So what else stood out to you about the book? Well, about three years after trying to become a prosperous coach, uh, having gotten completely burnt out, thinking I don't, I'm, I'll, I'll never make this, um, what stood out was one enormous omission in the book. And so if people read really? it, uh, listen to this, and they want to re- read the book, and they think that it might be useful, please do. It is a really good book. It's filled with really um, ground-shifting uh, insights. But there's one thing that they left out, and that is if you're going to base your entire uh, creating clients on having conversations, you are instructed to fill your calendar with conversations. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you are a little bit discerning in who you have those conversations with. Because the way I did it, I would spend two hours talking to somebody who said, yeah, I need some help. And I would give that two hours to all and sundry. I wouldn't ask myself if they have a profitable business, if they are coachable, if they um, have the same values as I do, if they are a giver, a taker, or a matcher, uh, as per Adam Grant. If you need help, and you ask me for coaching, you would get two hours yeah. or another two hours. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a long time. And I ended up giving a lot of time to people who weren't able to benefit and weren't in the place to do anything useful and constructive with it. And I would give a lot of time to people who, and that's where the business side comes in, who were takers. So you have givers, takers, and matchers. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you give to a taker, it's like throwing resources into a black hole because they don't give anything back and they don't pay anything forward. They just take stuff. So why would you spend your time, your business time, giving free time, giving the experience of coaching to somebody who is a taker? Now, if that had been in the book, I would have been a success much sooner. But for some reason, maybe it was in the book. I've not read it in years, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't remember anything about that in there. And that is how I actually got burnt out trying to use the prosperous coach method. Right. So that's what I would write, like the you know, the addendum the here. Is like, <laughs> choose people who you were. You don't have to go only for the high rollers who have a big bank account, right. but don't give to takers because that doesn't help them and it doesn't help you. Yeah, don't give to takers. Yeah, it's a very good way of putting it. Um, so the the friend of mine who recommended this book to me said something the other day because we were just doing a little short youtube series together almost just as an excuse to hang out because we like each mm-hmm. other like like to hang out and talk about stuff and so he mentioned something uh he was talking about uh, filters he said when you have because he because he went through that that phase too where you just basically mm-hmm. just give right mm-hmm. and he said something to the effect of like at some point uh 
once you set your number of hours that you're willing to do that, essentially pro bono. He's like, I've still got an, you know, an hour on my calendar, you know, once every couple of weeks that essentially is just pro bono. Like if you want to jump on for 15 minutes, if it ends up being two 30 minute calls to two different people, whatever, it's just there on his calendar. And he said, so like once I limited the time that I was willing to do that, then you realize, okay, well now I have to install a filter. Otherwise I'll just be booked out for a year of free, free mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, that is the key. And and I wouldn't have connected this immediately either. And I don't know that they talk about this in the book, but that concept of having a filter, whatever that might mean to you, you know, you mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of them, just, you know, do they have a profitable business? Um, do they have the means to afford, are they interested in paying a coach if it was the mm-hmm. right fit? Like just those things that you could probably ask in a type form before they even book the call, just, you know, or things that you can feel them out in conversation yeah. before the call. Uh, either way, see it on their website or on their social media. You can, yeah. if you spend a little bit of time looking at people, you get a feel for whether this is purely a no mm-hmm. or possi- possibly a yes. So the first step is always: is there anything that you can tell from the conversation, the initial meeting, or the message that they send, or the way they present themselves online that tells you, yeah, but this is a no, and then don't waste your time talking to people who are not going to end up working with you. Mm-hmm. Because why would you? If it's a pro bono thing, you're one hour a week, fine. Yeah. But if it is a way for you to create conversations that turn a conversation into a client, yeah, well, why would you do that? <laughs> if that is clearly not somebody, you, know, you start with no. Mm-hmm. Look for the signs that tell you, ah, but because this person is saying, you know, like when I had, was coaching artists. Mm-hmm. A lot of artists, unfortunately, have a very dysfunctional mindset about money because yeah. Art then gets devalued if you charge money for it. It's ridiculous, um, but that's how people think. So then they do everything they can to prevent themselves from selling it. So if you go on or, 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 or charging good money for it. Uh, so if you then go and look at what they say on, on Twitter or on Facebook or the people they hang out with or the way they present themselves, you can tell, yeah, well, this one isn't selling their work. So I'm not going to coach them on how to build an art business because they're not selling because clearly they have a scarcity mindset yeah. or they have uh, a money hangups. And you go to another person and you talk to them if that person does have a healthy mindset about money. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed um, just drawing the comparison between artists and, and coaches? I don't, I don't run into this so much in the, the straight up business coaching world, but I have clients that have a lot of, uh, of their audience or in the life coaching area. Mm-hmm. And they tend to want to be really helpful. They want to make an impact. They all have good intentions, but they have a little bit of the same view towards coaching as artists have towards their art, which is Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I don't know if devalued is necessarily the right word, but definitely sullied uh, and and colored in some way, as in, Mm -hmm. you know, like these people need help. I can't, I I feel bad about charging for this because I'm helping uh, divorced single moms build a better relationship with their exes to make sure that their kids are raised well, mm-hmm. you know, like just really, really interesting niches where people have a lot of needs, but they have a hard time charging. And so of course they really have a hard time building a business out of it. Um, have you noticed any commonalities between the limiting beliefs of, of coaches versus what you encountered originally in the art world, or is it different coming from a different place? Yeah, there's a lot of different, uh, uh psychological, uh, mechanisms going on there. But uh, a lot of coaches, especially life coaches, struggle as much as uh, life coach. Uh, life coaching is the, my, my favorite industry to hate on. <laughs> because I mean, 
And there's nothing against a life a life coach. It's against the yeah. industry. Right. Because how many people do you know who eat their broccoli? <laughs> Let's take a quick break from the conversation. Are you interested in running a podcast like this? Then check out our done for you service and grab a 15 minute podcast brainstorm call. We'll talk through your podcast idea and the business behind it. So you'll know exactly how a podcast can attract ideal clients and bring you five to 10 X return. Schedule your call today at pursuingresults.com. And now let's jump back into the conversation. As in their own coaching, uh, their no. own, uh, or just everybody their, uh, should eat broccoli and leave alone the fast food and the chocolate and the ice cream. How many people actually do that? Well, most people do eat fast food, chocolate, and ice cream. Mm -hmm. Everybody would benefit from a life coach, but because it is something that is good for everybody, just like broccoli, Mm -hmm. nobody wants it. So (laughs) if you go out and you try and sell life coaching, you struggle enormously to find the people who want it, who want to pay for it, and who want to pay good money for it. Mm -hmm. So life coaching is like meditation. If you do it and you do it for a long time, yeah, you're going to find benefits. But everybody yes. benefits from meditation. Yeah, there's there's so, a great there's a great graph in the book. Here we go. Do you remember this? I'm gonna hold this up to the camera. I don't watch that. Okay. So the graph is the created future mm-hmm. versus their default future. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a big gap between the two. So if you're listening to the if you're in the listening audience, I apologize because you can't see this graph. But it's mm-hmm. amazing, by the way. It's on uh what is that, page 135 of the book? So and, and the gap between the two of those things, the future you could create together with your coach versus the default future you'd have if you didn't have that person in your life, they're paying for the difference between those two things. What I found is that in the business world, it's easy to assign a value to the difference between those two futures, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're a business coach or if you're a marketing agency owner like me, like you can say, hey... I believe your future, like we agree, your future, if we work together is up here, bam, the difference between that and not working together is sure. 100 grand in revenue a year for the next five years. Great. That's a half a million dollars in revenue. It's quantifiable. Yeah. So then they can go, okay, well, I'm willing to risk 25 grand a year to make 100 grand plus this year. That that makes sense to me. The numbers oh, yeah. make sense, right? 4X return for a future expected 5 to 10X return. Like that's the, the numbers make sense. Yeah, yep. life coaching is tough to sell because when you're selling that potential future that you can create together, it's like, well, what's the monetary value of that? What's the monetary value of not being stressed and loving your kids and like all the, all those things? It should be priceless, except it's not. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's you're talking about something that's zero, zero dollar return in exchange for you want me to exactly. say what now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be paying you $25 for $25,000 for a year of life coaching so that I get better at living and get better life. I like a better life. I, I, I would, I would love that. Um, it's a lot of money. How much better is my life going to get? Yeah. <laughs> in what ways is it going to get better? Yeah. Uh, is it going to stay better? What do I have to do in order to have a, keep having a better life? You cannot quantify that. Yeah. So that's why life coaching, life coaches very often struggle enormously. So my advice there would be, be a life coach for this person who needs that result. So yes. you can still do life coaching, but you put something specific and measurable on it. So a life coach for people who wants to be fit and strong. Okay, You can quantify fit and strong. Uh, how, how much you weigh and how your 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 waistband uh, waist size and how much many miles you can run mm-hmm. that's quantifiable yeah um be a life coach for uh, uh people who want to have the best possible relationships in the world with their team and their spouse and their kids mm-hmm. okay how do you rate your relationship at this moment 
right? Three months from now, we're going to get you from that four to a seven. All right, yeah. you want to work on that? Three months, this is the price. Because then you have something that is definable that people can say, okay, I can see how, I'll be able to see the difference between now and later. There's an outcome that I can compare to my current, that, that, that from here to there. And then you make your, your life as a life coach a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Oh, and you also get to actually help the people that you want to help because they actually end up paying you and working with you. Yeah, very true. Yeah, you can't help anyone unless a sale is made. Um, let's tie this into your expertise on ethical selling. Uh, I'm just curious as we as we wind down, what what are the... No, we're not winding down. Not if you're going to start there. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to ask <laughs> I can you talk for thing. days on this. I'm going to ask you one thing. Yeah. Because we talk about where we're getting into the sales process anyway, just with this conversation, talking about being able to set a defined point A and point B where you want to lead people yeah. and being able to explain exactly where you want to lead them and saying like, hey, is this a fair exchange? Like, this is where I want to take you. This is what I believe we can achieve together. Here's what here's what the cost, the investment of time and energy and resources to work with me to get this result. Um, what do you find, assuming you can lay that out, um, what is one of the other major roadblocks you find when you're helping people through like the ethical selling process and your framework? What if you If you strip away some of the things that are routine and common, what are some of the really maybe one to two big things that you have to help people overcome? Well, there, there's three uh, core problems that I help people with. That is, they, they, um, they can't get paid what they're worth. They uh, don't see enough, many, uh, enough people sign on, so conversion rate is too low, mm -hmm. uh, or they just don't like it. Um, and behind that are a, a number of reasons. One really big one is a wrong idea of what selling is. Uh, that's actually a really, really important one. Selling is the most, uh, is, is the oldest job in the world, right? It's not the other job that's the oldest job. Selling is something that we did way in the beginning mm -hmm. because you would be sitting by your cave in your bear skin, uh, um, sheltered from the rain uh, um, with your little fire and I'd come home drenched, uh, soaking wet with my catch of the day, raw, and I'd be wet and I'd make grunting noises at you and you'd grunt something back and the exchange, the sale would be, if I give you half of my catch, can I roast it over your fire? Right. And you would say, yes, let's do that. Let's, let's trade this. That's a sale. Mm -hmm. So we've always been selling, um, which means exchanging things based on mutual agreement uh, for protection, for shelter, for procreation, for moving to another continent, uh, for learning how to tame fire. Right. So from the very, very early stages of, of human evolution, We've always been in sales. Everybody is always selling something. We're always looking for somebody who wants what we have, who values that enough to give us something in return for it. Mm -hmm. I am now selling you and the audience on listening to me preach about what selling uh, actually is. Right. And it is only if what I'm saying is valuable and interesting that you are going to pay attention to it. Yeah, It's a sale or not. Sorry to see you go. Right? And that is the other thing. The big hang up is that people have this idea that selling means you have to make people do something. No, yeah. selling is helping people figure out what to decide. You can buy this, you cannot buy this. There's a yes, there's a no. Would you like to have a conversation about figuring out whether you want it to be a yes or you want it to be a no? Yeah. Is it the right time? Is it the right offer? Is it the right process? Am I the right person? Do you trust me enough? Uh, are we looking at the, uh, the right outcome? My interest here 
is in helping you facilitating a decision-making process so that you make a decision. And if that is a yes, I'm happy. And if it is a no, I'm happy because you will have made the best decision for you at this point. Yeah. Now, once people see yeah. that, then they go, huh, I suddenly like something. Because you're just serving somebody and making a decision. How beautiful. Well, that's the thing is it's all is that it's the way. And I don't know if you if look at it this way, but when I, when I hear that, I'm, I'm just realizing this in the moment that I've come to think of sales as an extension of, um, of leadership. So to me, mm -hmm. coaching and selling and leading my clients are kind of all one thing. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that helped me with sales and feeling uh, ethical about the sales process is that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I've switched my point of view to leading them to the best decision. And that was exactly. th thanks to a mentor of mine who is big on ethical selling as well and, and mm -hmm. kind of has um, his own set of opinions on it. And we've talked a lot about it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm, not, I'm not interested in leading them to decide to hire me. I'm no. interested in leading them to the best decision for them. And if the decision yeah. is to hire me, great. But if it's not also great, um, I was joking around with one of my um, kind of friends and uh, slash acquaintances in the real estate space. And he's come to me a couple of times over the years with podcast ideas, really excited about and said, like, basically like said, like, Hey, let's, let's roll. I'm ready to pay you. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, let's look at the idea. And we dive into it. I'm like, ah, man, I don't, I just don't know that this is like the time. I don't know that this is the right idea. And so finally it came to me this year and he was, he had really what he thought was a great idea. And it is a great mm -hmm. idea. And we worked through it for about three sessions together and I wouldn't let him sign up, wouldn't let him sign up. And finally I'm like, dude, this is a YouTube channel. It's not a podcast. Mm -hmm. It's like, you just, you just don't need a podcast. And he was joking around here and he's like, well, Matt, you've managed to talk me out of starting a podcast now three times. Well done. <laughs> like, well done. Exactly. Um, I saw like I, well, I should have charged you for all the, for all the time yeah. I've saved you for not, uh, not telling you to do something that wouldn't have worked. Um, but I guarantee you that will get me two or three refer that like that guy will of now course. probably send me several hundred grand in business over the next five years because yes. of that, because I chose Why? to do what was best for him. And he walks away feeling, I like you. I feel respected. I'll talk to you again. Yeah. Right. So you left the situation where you were at a quote unquote loss, but you left the relationship. You lost the sale, but you won the relationship. Won the relationship. And that might become a sale later on. It might become a referral. It might become a partnership. It might be who knows what. Something is going to come from it. Whereas if you try to force the other person into saying yes, and it does become a no, he's not going to remember you well. And you, you cannot follow up. And he's not going to come back to you. Mm. And it's lost. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's better to lose the sale and win the relationship, especially if you're in, I think where people get into trouble is they take some of the tactics and techniques that work in sales environments where you're selling a product and you can just kind of sell it, serve and then walk away. And we bring it into these very small niches where we're coaching and people know each other and you develop this reputation. Like I, I just, from the very beginning of my like real career in business the second time around, I was just immediately into an extremely small world where everyone knew each other. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not compelled to, you know, um, sell things like their products anyway. But if I was tempted that way, it just wouldn't have worked immediately. Like I had to structure everything as if everyone, everyone that I talk to knows the next person I'm going to talk to because half the time they did, you mm -hmm. know, and it, like that mm -hmm. changes your, I don't know if people, yeah. if you notice that you operate mm -hmm. in that space, um, but when you do, like it changes how you, how you sell, because you can't have that person walking away going, Oh, Matt made me super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. like, you just can't do it.
So anyway, um, yep. well, let's close out with this because we can talk about this all day long because I think we have very similar uh, views and, and opinions about ethical selling. Um, how do people get into your world? Where can they learn more? And, and what do you like to do? Like, what's your process? What do you like to do for clients to get them results? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I like to coach people on um, creating clients, on closing deals. So um, I, I, I have to, a very beautiful job because I have to listen to the story that a client tells me about the situation that they have going on with a potential client. Then I have to interpret that and translate that so that I can then instruct them on how to communicate back to that client. So I have to sell my client on how to sell to their potential client. <laughs> and it's so intricate and it's so beautiful and it's so much fun. It's deal coaching, basically. Yeah. Like, okay, what, what opportunity do you have? Okay, where is that? Where are you stuck? What did they say? Okay, so this is not them stalling. What I read between the lines, if I put my crystal ball in front of me, is that he's actually under a lot of pressure. Don't ask for a next meeting. Tell him that you're going to follow up in two weeks. And then my client goes out and says that, and they go, fantastic. He said, yes, please follow up in two weeks. Mm. Right. So I, I help my clients to communicate with their uh, prospects in such a way that things flow and are not awkward. Because yeah. the big secret of selling is that it's not just you feeling awkward about having to sell your work. The client feels very awkward as well because, oh, God, they're going to throw a big price at me and they're going to follow up and they're going to try and push me into buying. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of tension on both sides. Yeah. If you make it safe, you give the other person the right to veto, you make it explicit that you're happy with a no, then it becomes a very beautiful process of coaching somebody into making that decision, yeah. which then very often becomes yes. And that is what I do. And I tweet about that uh, at Martin Steller, um, write articles at martinsteller.com, uh, the YouTube channel with playlists um, that I'm beginning to populate now. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, look me up if, if you think that uh, it's, it's your kind of thinking. Have a look. I love it. And I'm wildly jealous that you have such a unique and findable, searchable name. And mm -hmm. you have a, a great last name, which actually means at like outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> so it works very well. Uh, me with my Matt Johnson, plain, plain Jane, like there's, there's so many <laughs> of us. I can't, I can't use just my name.com. Uh, so I'm very jealous. So martinsteller.com is where, uh, mm -hmm. is where people can go and then Twitter and YouTube, but you're very easy to find with a very unique mm -hmm. name. So yeah. Martin, I really appreciate it. I knew from the time that we first connected that we have an amazing conversation and then obviously bringing up an amazing book that's impacted both of us was really fantastic. So I really appreciate doing this. Thanks. Thank you, too. Thank you much for, um, for bringing me on to the show. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other entrepreneurs and experts. Every time you share the show, you're putting life-changing ideas into someone's life. Now, to get the micro-famous field report that helps you turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, go to microfamous.substack.com and enter your email to access it for free. That's where you get all my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, everything goes into the microfamous field report. So go to Substack, sign up for that today so you get that. And stay tuned for the next episode of One Book That Changed My Life. We'll see you there.